0: Hi, and welcome to Spilling Chai. I'm your host, Anisha Hussain. You may know me as the Bangladeshi American cable news commentator who debates toxic masculinity with Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Or maybe you've read my articles on CNN about toxic white supremacy. While I may be a pro at giving my opinion and analysis on the headlines, something you don't get to hear me do is ask the questions and talk about something other than the news. And that's what I'm all about doing right now, because between coronavirus, a global lockdown and social isolation, my Persian cats and I need a break. This podcast, Billing Chai, is about conversations. I want to feel inspired, and radio is such a great medium to have really in-depth conversations and to take the time to have them. In this show, I'm going to be talking to brilliant writers, passionate activists, and amazing artists, and I want you to join us. This podcast is also a PSA on behalf of all brown people that in most of the Asia and the Middle East, chai is not a latte. Instead, it's the best kind of tea. And on this podcast, we are all about spilling it. So pour yourself a cup and pull up a seat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of Spilling Chai, coming to you direct from Washington, D.C., where I have been quarantining in my home with my husband, our two young girls, and our two not-so-young Persian cats. I try to stay focused on how lucky we are, that in the middle of a global pandemic, we are home, safe, together, we have food, and even though we can't see them, we are surrounded by dear neighbors and old friends. Staying grateful and bringing myself back to the present really helps me fight the urge to just run away from my kids and find the nearest, tallest building to jump off of. But something else that has been giving me hope and keeping me afloat is resilience. The resilience of people, of local businesses and communities. Something I learned from my parents and something I really admire about my husband is the ability to pivot. Pivot when life throws you a curveball. Adapt. Survive. Of course, that is much easier said than done in the midst of a global health pandemic. But if resilience could be personified, no one does it better than today's guest, Maysoon Zaid. Maysoon is one of America's first Muslim women comedians and is an icon for Arab Americans and Muslims around the world. I think Zaid describes herself best when she says she's a, quote, Palestinian Muslim with cerebral palsy from Jersey who is an actress, comedian, and activist. Zaid started her career by appearing on the popular American soap opera, As the World Turns, as well as guest appearances on Law and Order. But during her early acting experiences, Zaid found her disability and ethnicity repeatedly limiting her. She turned to stand-up comedy and began appearing in New York's top clubs, taking on serious topics such as terrorism and the Arab-Israeli conflict. She co-founded the New York Arab-American Comedy Festival with comedian Dean Abadallah in 2003. May soon usually tours by herself or as a special guest on the Axis of Evil comedy tour. And she also stars in the documentary The Muslims Are Coming, which features a group of Muslim-American stand-up comedians touring the United States in an effort to counter Islamophobia. Maysoon also presented at the TED Annual Conference, and her TED Talk has been viewed approximately one billion times online. Zaid has said repeatedly that she wants to appear on the Daytime Soap General Hospital, and in June of last year, she made her series debut in the role of Zahra Amir. Hello and welcome to the show, Maysoon. I'm just really
1: excited to be on Spilling Chai because I have cerebral palsy. It means I shake all the time. So I have been spilling chai since the day I was born.
0: So you have an iconic TED Talk from 2013 that I encourage all my listeners to go on YouTube and watch. How has life changed for you since then?
1: Well, there's a pandemic now and I can no longer speak on public or perform live. So that's been the biggest change. Now, interestingly enough, when I did the TED Talk, I didn't understand how big they were. I really didn't. When I was first approached, Pat Mitchell, who runs TED Women, she approached me and she said, do you want to do a TED Talk? And I said, how much are you going to pay me? And she said, they don't pay. And I like chuckle because I don't work for free. And so then I was telling my agents, I was like, yeah, they want me to do this TED Talk. And they tell me that the gift bag is like worth the trip but I don't want to go work for free. What do you think? And they were like, you have to go do this. This will change your life as a speaker. And I went and I did the TED Talk and it went really well, but I still had no idea the magnitude of it. Then about a month after I recorded it, it came out. And Sharuk Khan, who is this like super, super awesome, just gorgeous star, hosted my talk. And within like 24 hours, I had a million hits. And I went to sleep and I woke up. And the next day, my entire Twitter were people retweeting my TED Talk, commending me on it. And that was like the moment in my life that I knew it was big. But before the TED Talk, I had already produced the largest ethnic comedy festival in the nation. I had already been a headliner on a Live Nation tour. I had already been in a movie with Adam Sandler. So a lot of people, the TED Talk was the first time that they ever met me, and they would say things like, she's so brave. I really hope she gives that comedy thing a chance. So even though I had told my own story and i had showed my own pictures and I had delivered the journey, some people still couldn't look at that image of a disabled brown woman and see anything other than someone to cheer for because they're really trying but didn't necessarily take me seriously as a performer, as an artist, as an advocate.
0: When I was going through your beautiful and brave body of work, all I kept thinking was courage. You have so much courage and you're so resilient. What motivates you? What drives you? So
1: I think that one of the reasons I'm fearless is because my mom and dad thought it was a good idea to send me and my three older sisters to live in a war zone every summer on school vacation. So my parents are both Palestinian. I was born and raised in the great state of New Jersey, but I spent literally every single summer in Palestine at my grandparents' house. And in the interim of that, the first intifada, which was the first like Palestinian uprising happened. And then when I was going there as like teens and twenties, the second intifada was happening. So I've literally lived under curfew. I've had buildings across from me bombed. I've been shot at at a checkpoint. So I think that's one of the things that makes me fearless, but I'm afraid of things I shouldn't be. So like, even though I'm fearless technically, I'm a hundred percent afraid that I'm going to get kidnapped and like put in someone's basement and forced to like raise guinea pigs for 14 years, like an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Terrified. Terrified of that.
0: You have done so much to call out Islamophobia and fight negative stereotypes of Muslims, as, long, as well as for people with disabilities and women of color. How has the environment in America changed for Muslim Americans since you and Dean first started the New York Arab American Comedy Festival?
1: In my book, Find Another Dream, there's a whole chapter on Dean. I met Dean Ovidala at my third ever comedy show in my life. So in January of 2000, I took a stand-up comedy class at Caroline's on Broadway. My dream in life was to be on General Hospital, which I did achieve in May of 2019. I am Zara Amir on General Hospital. But I looked at TV. I didn't see people who looked like me. So where I saw people who looked like me was in the world of comedy. So I signed up. I took a comedy class. I graduated from my comedy class. And then I was like signing up for any show I could. And it was my third show at a place called Hamburger Harry's in the middle of uh, Gladys's Hamburger Harry's in the middle of Times Square. And that's where I met Dean Obidala. It was exactly, not exactly, but it was about a year before 9-11. So after 9-11, Dean reached out to me and he said, what do you think of doing a comedy show to combat the negative images of Arabs and Muslims in media? And I was like, no one will come, but I'll do it. Like, I'll do anything. Let's do this. And that's how the New York Arab American Comedy Festival was born. What I will say is this. When the festival started, not only was it post 9-11, but also the George Bush war criminal machine had started the lie that took them into Iraq. And so we were battling this kind of hatred and misinterpretation of Arabs in media from two different angles. But also we were comedians who realized that Arabs, regardless of what their faith were, were like the backbone of comedy in American television. They were trailblazers like Danny Thomas, Rick Taback, Wendy Malik, Marlo Thomas, Jamie Farr, of course, the legend that brought Lebanon to mass. And we wanted to get back to our roots as comedians. And we also wanted people who were casting Arabs on television to understand that South Asian and Arab are not synonymous, that having a Latino or an Italian guy play in Arab is offensive. And so in addition to combating hate, we were also trying to educate. And what's most shocking to me is that November will be our 16th year, inshallah. And we don't know if it'll be live or virtual. We have Gotham Comedy Club reserved and ready to go the week after Joe Biden finally beats Trump out of my life. But I had no idea that 16 years later, the hate, the fear, the death threats would be so much more intense than post 9-11. Because for the past three years, the most powerful man in the world has been spitting the most violent rhetoric at Muslims and really targeting Muslim women. So like when he got people chanting, send her back about people who literally look like me, okay, I look more like AOC, but technically, I identify more closely. And I was like, it's unbelievable to me that just the other day, he retweeted someone who was complimenting General Flynn because he's anti-Islamic. The tweet literally said, they just don't like him because he's anti-Islamic. Like, that's a good thing. Like, that's an excuse to despise someone, bigotry. So, I still don't have it as bad as a black disabled woman in America, but I find what we're living through right now, obscene, absurd, and I'm not quite sure how to stop it because the hate is so prevalent that I don't think anything can be done. It's He's put it out in the open and it's also deadly in such an interesting way right now because When we were getting threatened, when Muslims were getting shot or men defending us on a subway were getting stabbed, it was these little pockets. But what he's doing now is a full throttle, putting all of our lives at risk. And I think it's interesting that one of the ways that he fuels his base is by saying that we are going to impose Sharia law. And I gotta tell you, sis, we have done a damn good job. We got everybody covering their faces, men and women ain't shaking hands. We're like, every doctor you see on CNN or ABC is brown like me. I think we may have actually taken over. And while they're all like going to the churches and watching their pastors die because God is great, all the masjids that I know where Muslims go during Ramadan are closed. So like on top of getting them all to cover themselves and no longer shake hands, we've also managed to save Muslim lives by choosing science over conspiracy theories. Again, the Muslim Sharia law, the success we have had of imposing Sharia law, thank you to Muslim's best friend, you see him constantly cuddling up with the Saudis, this president right now. We have always been washing our hands. So not all Muslims, let me clarify that. Muslims whose parents are observant are taught from when they're like two years old how to wash up before prayer. And the washing of hands before prayer is exactly what all these videos and TikToks and Instagram lives are teaching people how to do. It's how we've been washing our hands five times a day since like the day we were born. So when I found out that people didn't know how to wash their hands And we're not talking about people who unfortunately are living in countries where there's no access to water and there's no education about hygiene. We're talking about what used to be a first world country, the United States of America, where people with privilege and access don't use soap. So it's been really eye-opening to me that something so natural and such a huge part of my life is something so foreign to people who consider themselves superior we're always considered foreign, different. We're often excluded. It's like white women and this category and that category, and then the others. So like if you're filling out a census, for example, it was like Latino, Asian American, Pan Pacific, others. We were the others. we were the other category. But also the others is that like when people say you people, to us, it's because we're not of them. Even though I'm born and raised in Jersey, I have an accent like as if I was trained by Snooky. I'm still considered an other. I always joke that people tell me to go back to my own country. And I say, you mean Jersey? You might want us to secede, but we totally haven't. The idea of us not being part of them, but we're also others in our own community. You know what I mean? Like when we go back to Bangladesh or to Palestine, I'm like the American raised. And also the bigger bubble of the others is I want to hear other voices. I feel like I'm hearing the same voice over and over. And the view is spectacular. They have diverse voices. You have your Whoopi Goldberg and your Sarah Haynes. You can't get more opposite than that. But where are all the others? Where are the ugly girls? Where are the transgender women? Where are the disabled Women, where are the unbelievably intelligent journalists and doctors that I'm seeing every day
0: doing these three minute clips that are just not enough time for me. So, what are you working on now? What is making you want to spill the chai? First and foremost, I have
1: a book on Audible. It's called Find Another Dream. It's my memoir, and I censored it heavily myself because, mashallah, God bless her. My mother is still alive, and I can't tell all my stories. Plus, some of them were illegal and I don't want to go to jail. Then you can go to my website. My website is Maystoon.com. Maystoon.com is like the month of May is coming soon. Maystoon.com, if you forget that, Palsy Palestinian. I'm like the second or third one that comes up. But that website has every video I've ever done. It has my web series, Advice You Don't Want to Hear. And it has a link to all of Beyonce, my cat's social media. So you can like and comment on her pictures. November, if we're all still alive and kicking, me and Dean Ovidala are going to do the 16th annual New York Arab American Comedy Festival. One of my biggest regrets in life is not just naming it Arab Comedy Fest. That would have been much easier to type. And most importantly for everyone, I'm begging you, fight to vote by mail if you are in the United States of America. Fight to vote by mail vote for Joe Biden. I loved Elizabeth Warren. I know he's nobody but Joe Biden's favorite. But please, I am begging you, this is not a choice between the lesser of two evils. This is doing good because by voting for Joe Biden, you are voting to save the lives of disabled people. You're voting to save the lives of brown and black people. And now there's a global pandemic and you're voting to save your own life.
0: When I first started AnushaesPoint.com in 2009, it was a place where I wanted women of color to be able to go to read stories by us and for us that put us in control of our own narrative. Today, it is more of my online resume, where you can go to find all my latest articles and media appearances. But I started it 11 years ago after getting one of the best pieces of advice I have ever gotten in my career— Don't wait for someone to give you a platform. Create your own. If you enjoyed this episode of Spilling Chai, please subscribe and review us on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on social at Spilling Chai Podcast. Make sure to stay safe, stay home, and at least six feet apart, my dear listeners. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai.